This is our fourth and final session going through this evangelism training. I hope it's been beneficial to you or at least encouraging or challenging to you. Even if it's not new information, at least renewed information in your mind just as you, we grow in our conviction and our practice of sharing our faith. And so I hope it's been an encouragement to you as it has been for me. So today's session, session number four, is two parts. It's calling for a response. We're going to talk about that and also briefly talk about local church evangelism, those two things, calling for a response and local church evangelism. So getting right to it and calling for a response, when we reflect on the gospel, especially as we intentionally teach it in our order of worship or our liturgy, we want to shape people to see it in this order. As, as I have it fill in the blank for you, God, man, Christ response. God, man, Christ response. And in doing that, we're showing how God he has revealed himself to us. God himself has revealed himself to us and through his word. And that he's creator, that he's holy, and that he's righteous. And so man, we are alienated from the life of God because of sin. Because we have a sin nature and we are kept from God by that barrier of our sin. But Christ, he brings mankind near. We were far off from God, but Christ brings mankind near by dying for their sin and rising Again, and then we have our response, which is repentance and faith. So, the necessary response to the gospel, it is repentance and faith, hands down. And as Timothy uh, Boger, he, he walks through, he says this quote, uh, opening up in this chapter, he says, If someone shares the gospel, but does not discuss the necessary response, he or she has not truly shared the gospel message. I want to say that again. If someone shares the gospel, but they don't share the necessary response, you haven't truly shared the gospel. You've made it incomplete to some sense. Yes, you might say there's a creator and that man is sinful. Christ died on the cross and rose again. You might say that, but the gospel message, it's, you might say the, the bow on top to finish the package of this gift of salvation is repentance and faith. We must tell people you must respond to the gospel. Uh, Timothy goes on, he goes on to say, the gospel message includes the necessary response of repentance and faith, but beyond explaining the necessary response, what is the witness's role in calling for a response? So what's your role? Uh, does exhorting someone to repent and believe infringe upon God's sovereignty? Are witnesses to plead with sinners to repent and believe, or should they explain the gospel and then step back, allowing God to work in the person's heart and mind? We're going to examine some of these ideas as we move forward today. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've covered this passage a number of times, maybe two out of the four weeks already, so it'll be two out of three total. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and this ministry of reconciliation that we have, I want to look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, you guys know when we see therefore, what do we ask? What is it there? What's it there for? That's right. What is it there for? It is there because it is showing the summary of what was just said or just laid out. So let's, let's, let's see what the therefore is there for. Let's look at verse 18 and 19. We can clearly see from this why we're ambassadors for Christ. Verse 18, all this is from God. Okay, let's, let's break this down real quick. What is the all? Well, based on the previous verse, verse 17, there's this idea of we are new creatures in Christ, right? The old has passed away, the new has come, right? That's where that comes from. And it's the source is from God alone. And it's, notice it's quantity listed out. Not some of this is from God. Like, it's all from God. Every bit of, we might say, salvation and sanctification is from God. 
All right? I want to be really clear on that. Uh, but God, he, uh, this is my notes real quick, God as the source is complete in his action of making you new. But notice as it comes from the source, what is the means employed by God, the source of it all? Look at the text. All this is from God who through Christ, Christ, 1 Timothy 2.5 says he's the one mediator between God and man. John 14.6, we know this verse as well, right? John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's only Jesus, right? It's through Christ. He is the means of salvation. That's how we come to faith in Christ. He's God's, God's the source. Christ is the means. And we look closely. Notice what, does, um, what Christ does as the means to being made into a new creation. What does he do? He reconciled us to himself. So this is clearly the action of God as the initiator. But as initiator, he has led us and thus commanded us to a new ministry. Uh, look at the text. He goes on to say in verse 18, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So our ministry is God's ministry in a way, right? Like whatever we're doing for God, it's what God has already planned to do and, and was doing before we even joined him in this effort. But we get to join him in this effort. And as the text continues on, verse 19 it's now, verse 19 is almost a way of explaining all that he just said in a way before he gets to the therefore in 20. He says that is, so he's explaining it, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. If anyone here is an accountant or you, you know, obviously manage your budget, you're accounting things, that word counting is a financial type term. And so God had a list of our transgressions, we might say, Right? And what does he say? All those, I don't count them against you. It's wiped clean, right? We, we've taken that out of your account and we've applied Christ's righteousness. That's what takes us to verse 21 in this text. But not counting their trespasses against them and then entrusting, another financial term, entrusting to us, giving, depositing this to us into our account, this message, this task of reconciliation. So this takes us back to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So, we are ambassadors. And an ambassador, what do they do? They represent. They represent a nation where they come from. Uh, and we might say for an ambassador, this job description is not one that they get to make up on their own. Uh, the ambassador is given a message. They're charged with the responsibility to communicate this message that they've been fully entrusted with. So, as ambassadors ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, will we be found faithful to represent where we come from, from, from God? He's the source, remember? So let's look at the text, though. Um, he goes on to say, it is God making his appeal through us. Think about that for a moment. When we're sharing the gospel with people, and we're opening the Bible, the Word of God, and we're imploring people to come to faith in Christ, you might be doing it, but you understand you're the ambassador, you're the vessel. It's actually God, through you, making this appeal. Why? Because you're using the Word, and the Word is God-breathed. And so we see this beautiful picture of working in sync with God and this ministry of reconciliation. So that's why a couple things, this is kind of, I wasn't planning on saying this, but as an aside, it's so good to know your Bible. It's so good to know where you can find books of the Bible. It's so good to have it hidden in your heart so you can just speak it off your tongue. And as, as someone who's, obviously I've gone to school for this. I've, I've, for years I was in school, um, probably too long, according to some. But um, when I would share the gospel at work, I'd share the gospel with people. They'd be like, wow, you know so much of the Bible. You know, so I'm like, 
But yeah, I guess I'm going to school for it. But also, a good disciple should know their Bible really well, right? They, they should be able to spout off verse after verse after verse. And I want to encourage you, um, that's, if we want God to make his appeal well through us, we need to know the word very well, right? So I want to encourage you toward knowing the word very well. So let's keep looking at this. Um, you know, we are, we are a vessel. We are a megaphone of God's message. Uh, look at the text. He goes on to say what? He says, we implore you. We implore you on behalf of Christ. This idea of implore it's, it's, has this idea of begging, begging, which is really interesting. We're going to address this in the end if we've got some time as well. But this idea of imploring, look at um, Acts 28.23 and Acts 18.14. First people to get to each of those, read them for me. Acts 28.23 first, and then Acts 18.4. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him in his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Notice this is the Apostle Paul, and he expounded to them and testified to them of the kingdom of God. And he, what is he trying to do according to the text? He's trying to convince them. He's trying to persuade them. He's trying to make an appeal, right? He's trying to convince them. That's really important. And let's go to 18.4. He was reasoning in the so, right, he's reasoning, you know, he's using his reasoning, but he's trying to persuade. Guys, some people say, you know, you can't argue someone to the faith. And I get the sentiment, what they mean by that. In other words, you can't yell at them blue in the face until you're just like, okay, they just got to concede. You won the argument because your logic is amazing, right? No, no, we understand we're not saying that, but we are supposed to give reasons. We might say arguments that people could come to faith in Christ in, right? And we know that that argument is Christ, right? I mean, that's what, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make an appeal to say he is God. He is who he says he is. And so we're going to convince, we're going to persuade, because Christ is who he says he is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So we want to make this appeal. So Paul's telling this appeal to the Corinthians, which if you think about our text, 2 Corinthians, this appeal Paul makes to them is the same appeal he's charging them to make to the lost, right? So notice he says, we implore you. We want you to be used by God, that God would make his appeal through you. But at the same time, he's imploring them. Now, what is he trying to implore them? He says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, in the context of the church of Corinth, there was a lot of division. There was these false super apostles trying to divide, you know, the church of Corinth, separate them from the apostle. Uh, and it's a really interesting book. I highly encourage you to study it. But what Paul's trying to say is, look, you need to be reconciled. Now, what does that word reconcile mean? It means to be changed thoroughly. The status of that relationship has changed thoroughly. Okay, that's what that means. And so he's wanting them to be reconciled to God as well. So R.H. Mounts, he said this concerning his observation of New Testament preaching, which truly bears repeating here, but, but real quick, I would like to say something about this word he uses, because I don't want to use it, and you, you guys are like, what's this weird word? It's this word, uh, kerugma. Uh, it's the, Jesus uses this term regarding the preaching of Jonah. This has to do with the content of Jonah's preaching. Uh, and the emphasis probably lies much more on ca- the carrying out by Jonah of a divine commission, this delivery of a message containing not only a threat of judgment, but also an invitation of repentance and salvation. So this uh, kerygma, or kerygma, I can't even say it right, but the idea is, um, as Mounts says here, this kerygma was not a dispassionate recital of historical facts, a sort of nondescript presentation of certain truths, interesting enough, but morally neutral. It was rather the existential confrontation of man with the inescapable dilemma of having put to death the very one whom God exalted to universal lordship. Was there any way by which man could escape the inevitable result 
of his blasphemous conduct. Only one, repent. Therefore, the apostolic sermon invariably led up to a call for repentance. G.I. Packer also says in his excellent book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, he said, evangelizing includes the endeavor to elicit a response to the truth taught. It is communication with a view to conversion. It is a matter not merely of informing, but also of inviting. It is an attempt to gain or win or catch our fellow man for Christ. And so, once again, just to reiterate this, when we share the gospel, it's not faithful gospel sharing if you just inform them of the gospel facts. At the same time, you have to call them to repentance, implore them to trust in Christ. Because if not, you're, you're just giving facts. You're just being a history teacher at that point. Be a, a soul winner. Be someone who's trying to see, uh, see men and catch them for faith in Christ, okay? So, let's continue on through our worksheet here. So, what is calling for a response? Uh, I loved Timothy's chapter on this in his book, and he said there's nothing magical or mysterious to it at all. Calling for a response is simply to share the gospel message and invite people to repent and believe. It's that simple, right? To, to share the gospel message and invite people to repent and believe. There's no third way here. There's no middle road. We understand Jesus said this really clearly, did he not? The broad road leads to destruction. The narrow road, if you find it, leads to life. Right? There's, there's only two ways. There's not a middle way. And so, at the same time, there's only two kinds of humans. Those who are in, in Adam and in Christ. There's only two kinds of humans. Uh, John Stott reflects on the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is in your notes, to so fill in the blank, in regeneration and conversion. Okay, the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and conversion. This is a really important topic. I want to let's talk about it. He says this, the essential distinction is that regeneration is something which God does, while conversion is something which we do ourselves, but listen here, although not by ourselves. That's a really important point from John Stott. Conversion is what we do when we turn to God, and he lays out a few passages of Scripture there. Acts 9.35, 11.21, and 26.20. Since the turn from idols and sin is called repentance, and the turn to God and Christ faith, we conclude that repentance plus faith equal conversion. Uh, and, and John Stott was a, was a great, you know, reformed Anglican uh, preacher and scholar, great guy. Um, but that's an important aspect. The Holy Spirit, um, he does the work of regeneration and conversion. And uh, this can be quite a debated response depending on where you land on these things. We won't get into all that, but um, we're going to talk. We'll see you as things go on. So what steps should precede calling for a response? We're going to fill these four in here, okay? Number one, recognize, okay? Recognize. So we laying this out to someone you might be sharing the gospel with, now that you have admitted the problem, let's be sure you understand God's solution, Right? So we're going to lay out the problem of sin to people. We want them to recognize their state before God. Right, So we need to ask them, do you recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins? We're getting right to their sins and what Jesus did. And so if you recognize that, you need to repent. That's number two, repent. Number two is repent. Do you understand that you have a sin problem? You cannot solve by yourself. So you've got to turn to God. Do you really want Christ to deliver you from your sin? Are you ready to repent of your sins and follow him? Number three is to respond. Number three is to respond. Saving faith is the choice we make to rely upon Christ. Do you place your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now? 
right? That's something we must ask people. And, and I laid out these questions because these are helpful, I think, in talking to someone, by the way. So maybe keep these. In, and it's easy to remember because it's, um, it's alliterated. And number four, to receive. Salvation is a free gift from Christ. Number four, receive. Do you receive this free gift of salvation with empty and open hands? Meaning, um, there's nothing we bring to salvation, right? It's uh, that rock of ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, right? Simply to thy cross I cling, right? So we, we don't bring anything except for ourselves to Christ. So some people have incorporated something called the sinner's prayer uh, in, in sharing the gospel with people. When I was at Word of Life, that was a big emphasis for them as well, the sinner's prayer. Uh, so here's a sample of what a sinner's prayer might sound like. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died for my sins, and I want to invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. And so there's a lot of varying responses out there on this idea of the sinner's prayer. Uh, some people, uh, and, and I tend to agree with some of what the criticism is, some people have said that it, it leads to like a um, sacramental view of salvation to an extent, meaning if I just pray this prayer, this specific prayer, I will be saved. Because people might, that might come from a Catholic background who would say Hail Marys and things like that. They would say that for grace, right, from God. And so in the same way, it might communicate, oh, this, this is a work for me to be saved, right? And I don't, I, I don't think it's helpful because of that. Have people been saved having prayed the sinner's prayer or a sinner's type of sinner's prayer? I would say yes. I would say yes. And I want, I want you to hear what Wayne Grudem has to say about this. And I think I put the quote in your notes as well. Um, it's a very helpful quote. Wayne Grudem, by the way, he's a Calvinist, and I would say he more leans against the sinner's prayer. But I think what he said here is very helpful. He said, what shall we say about the common practice of asking people to pray to receive Christ as their personal Savior and Lord? Since per personal faith in Christ must involve an act, an actual decision of the will, it is often very helpful to express that decision in spoken words. And this could very naturally take the form of a prayer to Christ in which we tell him of our sorrow for sin, our commitment to forsake it, and our decision actually to put our trust in him. Such a spoken prayer does not in itself save us, but the attitude of the heart it represents does constitute true conversion. And the decision to speak that prayer can often uh, be the point at which a person truly comes to faith in Christ. And so, um, for instance, like I said, when I was at Word of Life and they would do the sinner's prayer, um, they would say, you can pray something like this. Praying this prayer does not save you, walking through these acts, but praying something like this. If you understand, and they walk through the gospel, God, man, Christ responds. And then they would help lead people through it, but then, you know, they weren't, you know, like they hammered it. You don't, you're not saved by this prayer, right? And so they just linked it all on Christ. And I, I really appreciate ministries who do that, but at the same time, I think there's an unavoidable difficulty that could come about with people who still uh, might rely on the prayer. But we can't control people's responses. We can only control being faithful ourselves, is what I would say. Okay? Um, now, often, sometimes, people have prayed this prayer or one like it, and there's been no transformation. Absolutely. You know, I, um, and that's obvious. And so we'd obviously say they're not saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And that prayer, they might have been relying on as a work, and it's not okay. And in the book, actually, he tells a long story. I won't share all the details. But he had been going door to door sharing the gospel, and he shared the gospel with a man named Manuel. And as he's sharing the gospel with him, um, he started going through the sinner's prayer, and he stumbled over a word, and he freaked out. And he said, I blew it! I blew it! He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I messed up a word. I'm not going to be saved. 
And he clicked for him like, whoa, he had a very sacramental view of prayer. He thought because he didn't pray the sinner's prayer right, he's going to hell. And so that's why I would say to some degree, I'm not for the sinner's prayer in that sense, because I think you can't control sometimes how people respond to it. Uh, we, need, we need to call people to repentance and faith. And so what I like to do is make sure I understand the gospel. Or I'm, I help them to understand the gospel clearly, like they articulate it back to me. So I'm not going to ask, I'm going to ask questions that make them state what I've said to them. Not yes or no questions. Like, do you believe you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe Christ died on the cross for your sins? Yes. I don't want to ask those kind of questions. I want to ask questions of like, do you remember what I said about sin? What does the Bible say about your sin? And I'm making them say, what, what did the Bible say the solution is to your sin? And I'm making them say it all. And then I say, now you know what the Bible says? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You know what that means? And, and, I, and I ask them, I just say, what do you, you know what that means? You know what that means? You know what that means? I just constantly do that. Then I say, you know what you should do right now? You right now should pray and ask God to save you. Praying is just talking to God. It's not some super religious thing that only priests or somebody can do. You can talk to God right now, calling on him to save you. And I've seen people respond, and they like, excellently articulate the gospel in praying right there in that moment. And so I think there's a way, if you're, if you're cognizant of what you're doing, there's a way in leading someone to Christ without having to rely on the sinner's prayer. And so that's, what I, that's, that's kind of my encouragement in that way uh, toward you guys as well. And so, uh, let's see. So really, our, our biggest desire in those kind of moments is just truthfully urging people uh, that, the, that the, conver- the conversion moment is a decision to follow Christ. And so I, I put in the back page, an extra page, this like little model you might see in the very back of the notes, this decision-making model. And it's from this uh, book, I got it right here, uh, in seminary called Tell It Often and Tell It Well by Mark McCloskey, uh, Making the Most of Witnessing Opportunities. And when he talks about this model, he said this was invented by the director of the Billy Graham uh, Graduate Program in Communications at Wheaton College. And he says, this helpful model depicts the roles of God the communicator and the listener in the process of communicating the gospel. Everyone we talk to falls somewhere on this scale in terms of spiritual decision-making process and the receptivity to the gospel. This scale is helpful to us as communicators of the gospel in four ways. Here they are. First, it shows us that apart from the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, no listener can understand or respond to the gospel, right? We know Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, dead people don't respond to the gospel, right? They have to be made alive. So um, only the Spirit can neutralize the spiritual noise caused by Satan's blinding and binding efforts and free the listener to appreciate the grace and truth of the gospel. Second, it shows that the Spirit of God and the communicator work in harmony, so that the communicator being us who are making the appeal, right? We work in harmony to bring the listener to an understanding of the gospel and to the point of personal decision. As Hendrik Kramer points out, the communication of the gospel which is necessarily incumbent upon the church and its members, is neither primarily nor ultimately dependent on our human ability to communicate. Kramer maintains that although we are called to a constant sharpening of our communication skills, quote, the primary author of the effective transmission of the message is the Holy Spirit, the invisible third partner in the communication process. Without his witness, ours is futile. But with his witness, ours can be a tool in his powerful hand to affect spiritual results in the life of the listener. Third, this chart shows us that different people have different levels of spiritual understanding and interest in the gospel. While some are ready to respond today, some are not. While many are ready to take the next step toward accepting Christ, some are stalled in their decision-making process or are headed away from Christ. And finally, this chart gives us insight into the sequence of decision steps leading to the actual event of conversion, regeneration, 
Uh, the listener must have an awareness of the fundamentals of the gospel before he can grasp its personal implications. And he must grasp those implications before he can recognize his problem. And so there's much more here I could read. It's an excellent, helpful model, and just for you to look at um, on the side. Um, real quickly, before we move on from there, are there any, are there any further questions about, um, before we talk about local church evangelism, what I talked about regarding repentance and faith, regeneration and conversion? I know I don't often do this in the middle, but I think it's a good, good spot. Any questions for clarification? Anything like that? You guys are making me feel good that I'm clear. That's nice. No questions. I, I was clear. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So, the next part. We're going to talk about local church evangelism. And uh, this whole list of fill-in-the-blank, it is alliterated. It comes from uh, Boer's chapter on this, and it's a really... Really amazing section, and we're going to read these different passages of Scripture. So if you want to open to those and read those, I'm going to have you guys read those as well. So, um, so number one, the first, the first one here is the word clarity. Casting a vision for evangelism. And we want any perspective we have on evangelism to be rooted in the Word. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So someone go ahead and read that for us. Awesome. So we look at that passage and we see Christ's command, his authority, and his presence. It bookends that verse, right? All authority has been given to Jesus, and he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. His authority and his presence go with us, his presence by, through the Spirit of God. Go with us to go, or as we are going, to make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them to observe. That doesn't mean like, oh, that's cool, I just saw that, right? No, observe means to practice, to practice what Christ commanded us, right? And so that's our job. That's not just a pastor's job. That's all your jobs as well. If you're a believer in Christ in this room, welcome to the team. You signed up to be a disciple maker. That's your job. So that is the vision we need to have that we are all in this together to do this. So the second one is conviction. Conviction. Believing that people are lost and need Christ. So we just read those two verses already, John 14, 6 and 2 Corinthians 5, 20. I won't read them again. But we need to have this, these convictions from this passage. That there are people who believe in false Jesuses, the Mormon Jesus, right? The Jehovah's Witness Jesus, the hippie Jesus, so you name them. They're false Jesuses. And they say, oh no, we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, or, or Catholic. But they do not know the way, the truth, and the life. They're going to hell. We need to have this conviction that they're lost. That they're lost. Just right now with me, imagine people you know and you come in contact with regularly who are lost. Think of the first lost person that comes to your mind. Now imagine with me, right now, they died today. They would suffer eternal torment in hell. You need to have this conviction that you have a responsibility to tell them. To tell them. We need to have that conviction. We need to see that they have a need for Christ. So will you be that ambassador and make God's appeal to them? Will you have that conviction? I hope you will. The next one, the next one, the next word here is commitment to being an evangelistic church. A commitment to being an evangelistic church. Look at Romans 10, 14. Someone read that for us. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? We have to have that commitment for the, so that they might hear the gospel. 
Because as we know, that text goes on to say, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so the word of Christ must be on our lips and we must be committed to be an evangelistic church, to go out and share our faith. The next one, climate, cultivating a friendly atmosphere. Luke 5.32. Someone go ahead and read that. I'm not coming to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm not coming to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this doesn't mean that we make lost people comfortable, okay? Um, but we do want them to feel welcome, okay? So, you know, if we made lost people feel comfortable, we wouldn't make the church about preaching the gospel because the gospel is going to make them uncomfortable, right? But what, what, what do we mean by cultivating a friendly atmosphere? A good example I have of this is um, when one, one Sunday morning, Mike Lower was uh, greeting at the front and a, a young man came into the church and he walked up to Mike and he said, he said, I'm homosexual. Would I be welcome to this church? And you know what Mike said? Perfect answer. You are always welcome to come and hear the preaching of the gospel. Excellent answer. You want to know why? Because it didn't make him comfortable because the gospel is going to make him uncomfortable. But he's always welcome. I mean, he can be in, in a pew and hear it preached. That's awesome. That's the right response. We, we don't, we don't want to lose our convictions, right? Because we understand people are lost. Um, and we don't compromise. So we create a friendly atmosphere to love the lost. Okay? Uh, next one is connecting. Connecting. So identifying the lost persons God has placed around us. Connecting. Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So that's clearly a text about God's sovereignty at work in the world to put people where he's put them. Have you ever, like, ever imagined, like, I wonder what life would have been like for me if I was born in a different time, right? Or maybe you've ever desired to be born in a different time. For me personally, if I thought about being born in a different time, I mean, everyone would probably say, like, a Bible story, kind of like back to a different time, like, uh, you know, seeing Jesus, all those kind of things. I just get worried I'd be one of the people in the crowd saying, crucify him, right? So I'm like, I'll just keep it safe and be later in the future, because um, I know I'm a sinner, right? So, uh, but um, I, I, I would love to see, like, the American Revolution, like, just have seen that happen, right? And, like, that'd be a cool time in history to be alive. Um, so, but when we think about that, right, we think about um, where God has placed us, right? Where God, you know, God has placed you in 2022, to be the age you are, living in the city you're in, the home you're living in, all those things. God has placed you in, those, in the church you're a part of, right? God has placed you in these different places and times. And, and maybe we might say the job that you have, right? He's placed you there. Think about this. In his meticulous sovereignty over all things, that's where you are. That's where you are. And so, um, in connecting, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to identify lost people around you. And let's go even more specific. The grocery store that you chose to visit, or, or whenever you go shopping, right? Or the gas station you chose to pump your gas at. Like, God and his sovereignty knew you would be there, and knew you would run into people. You know? So let's, let's make our, our opportunity to share the gospel. Let's try to take advantage of those and not just pass by them. But let's make, make the, those opportunities serious for us, because we recognize God has placed us here in 2022. Let's be faithful. We've got to connect with lost people. Identify them. Seek them out. As Jesus said, he came to seek and save the lost right? So we want to be like Christ in that way. The next one is caring. Caring, dis displaying concern for others and serving them. Displaying concern for others and serving them or caring. Uh, someone read Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Right? So 
you know, often we might think of going another verse about compassion, like actually in that same context. But I wanted to go to that one because it says, don't fear him who could just kill your body, but fear him who could kill both body and soul in hell. We should care for people's souls. That should be the thing we care about the most is people's souls. Now, we're not going to become Gnostics and say the soul matters, the body doesn't. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is the most important thing about them is that, that that's an eternal person you're talking to. Every person you're talking to is an eternal person. You think about that? And they're going to spend eternity either with Christ in heaven and with us in heaven or eternally in hell. And so they need to hear the gospel. We need to care for them. And so how do we care for them? We tell them to fear God. Fear the one who could kill both body and soul in hell. And so we want to emphasize that's what true caring is. Um, you know, and, I always, I, and you guys have probably heard this before, but it always just it shakes me every time I think about it. Just that, but that atheist who was so grateful someone shared the gospel with him, he didn't believe, but he said, he said, if he really believed I was going to hell, I really appreciate that he tried to share the gospel with me. And then he said, how much do you have to hate someone to not share the gospel? And the fact that an atheist got that, it always just blows my mind in a way of we might say God's common grace to him intellectually to understand that. That's a powerful picture. And so the, the world truly is watching in that way. And if they say we're Christians and we say we preach the gospel, then we should be faithful to, you know, they could be able to easily identify us. Oh, yeah, those are those people who believe I'm going to hell. And they keep telling me about this Jesus. I hope people would say that of you, right? The people, I remember actually reading a story of a man who, um, for many years, worked in this corporation. And, you know, at church, he, he felt this call, he might say, to go into the ministry. And so he announces it to the people he works with. And to his surprise, they said, you were a Christian? You were a Christian? That's kind of a shocking response, isn't it, a little bit? He had separated his work life and his church life and all these kind of things, and he didn't try to implement his faith in his conversations at the, at the coffee machine or at the you know, water cooler. He didn't try to share the gospel. And they were shocked to hear that he was a Christian. Don't let that be said of you in your life. Show that care and concern for their soul and share the gospel with people. Next thing, we have calendaring. Okay, <laughs> Calendaring. I didn't make the word up. He did in his chapter. But uh, identifying specific harvest days and special events. Someone read Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time and the days are hmm. Excellent. Look carefully how you walk, how you live your life. The days are evil. So what are some events we do at Woodlawn that are, that are like this, that we have on our calendar? Anything where we share the gospel? Holy Week. Holy Week, right? So we share the gospel. We invite people to come hear the gospel. Easter, so, yeah, Holy Week. Someone say something else? Awana, right? Awana. BBS, D now. Upward. That's right. Right, we have other things we do. We're going to have a basketball camp, our second year doing it, music camp. These are opportunities for people to hear the gospel in those ways. Right? What's that? Yeah, go and tell after VBS and upward. We have go and tell right after that. That's right. Um, you know, we, we have used summer camp as well as a means of like, hey, you know, invite your friends to camp, right? And so if they come to camp, they could hear the gospel. These are ways in which we could share the gospel with people. It's exciting. Um, we have done block parties before and things like that. And these are ways in which we've put on our calendar opportunities for you. So take advantage of them. Be a part of these ministries so you have opportunities to share the gospel with people. Okay? So we've got to use our calendar in that way. The next thing is courage, overcoming the barrier of fear. Courage, overcoming the barrier of fear. Look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Someone read that. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, 
Now, this is an excellent passage. I'm going to actually camp out here for a second, because I think this is a time for courage, we might say, in our day and age. But notice that verse that he had read. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You remember, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter to Timothy. Timothy is his son in the faith. If you, if you look at um, 2 Timothy 2, 2, he sa- or 1, 2, sorry, to Timothy, my beloved child. He saw him as a child. But you know what? He had a very serious problem. Timothy was ashamed of the gospel. You know, Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. He's a pastor. But he was ashamed of the gospel. How do we know that? Well, he's afraid. He, notice, he goes through the, in verse 3 here in 2 Timothy. You can turn your Bibles there. 2 Timothy 1, 3. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears. Why does he have tears? Well, Paul's about to die. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. For this reason, because of this sincere faith, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. When we are fanning a flame, why do we fan a flame? Why do you think he used that picture? To make it bigger. Why did it need to be bigger? Based off the context, think about it. Why, why, why do we go to make a flame bigger? Because, what's that? So it can spread out. But yeah, that's, that's a good implication from that. But what's wrong with the flame? It's dying. Yes, it's dying. It's small. Timothy, the pastor, who he already had another letter. He had 1 Timothy written to him already, right? He's Paul's son in the faith. But here he's being told the flame's going out. And this fl- remind, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he tells him in verse 8, do not be ashamed. Timothy was ashamed. He needed courage. The text goes on to say, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We'll stop there. But notice where Paul goes. In giving him courage... He goes to the gospel. He goes to his, his, a lot of things. He goes to his ancestry. So he talks about his grandmother and mother, how he poured into his life. He goes to the gospel and the, the gift of God in his life and says, you've got to share in suffering. You've got to push forward. You've got to push on. It's important that you do that. So he needed courage. And the way that overcome fear is trusting in God. It's through the gospel. That's how we overcome fear. And so uh, I remember looking at the, you know, I had you guys sign up for the class, you know, and I look at the survey, and it's probably about even, but more so to the right of boldness on the whole, like, afraid, like, I can take on an angry atheist, number 10, I got this right, to number one, like, I'm terrified, you know, and, you know, there were some down there, but a lot of you were more on the strong side, which is, which is good, uh, but for, for you who are very afraid, God can give you courage, and I want to challenge you, if you're very fearful of sharing the gospel, Pray to have courage. Be reminded of the gospel. And remember, Christ said, if they hate, say they hate you and they treat you with hatred, remember, it's because they hated me first. And really, it's, it's they hate me, right? We've got to remember that. So let's continue on. Number, the next one. Number next, all right? After courage, it's coaching. Coaching. Provide regular training in sharing the gospel. Someone read uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. 
Right, so the purpose of all these roles in the church is to build up the body, to equip them for the work of ministry. So my job, like I'm doing today, is to equip you. You guys, hey, you guys are practicing this one. Good job, you're here, right? Um, you know, I'm trying to coach you guys and, and how to think through the gospel and, and to practice uh, your faith and encourage you. A lot of this is encouragement to share your faith. You want to know why? Because many of you who are believers, you already know the gospel. And you don't have to become a master of all these different techniques of sharing the gospel. If you are saved, you know the gospel. And so as much of the gospel you know to be saved is, en is enough to be able to share the gospel with someone else. So I just want to encourage you in that. So a lot of this has been really, let me encourage you and build you up and provide those tools as well, but mainly the encouragement. And just, just to stir your affections for Christ and for the lost, okay? So yes, this regular training. We have, there's a few tools you can get out there. There's apps even. There's a Three Circles app that the North American Mission Board came out with, which is a really helpful way of sharing the gospel, and it lays out Three Circles. Uh, there's a lot of different techniques. There's tracks. You can get gospel tracks. We have some here. I was handed this one today on Roman Catholicism. It looks like a really good track. I even flipped through it. it looks great. Um, but there's a lot of tracks you can get out there that can be really solid. I mean, and if maybe before you go and buy some, if you think, man, I'm motivated, I'm going to buy some tracks, maybe run them by us first just so, you know, you don't waste your money if it's a bad track, you know, kind of thing. Because there's a lot of them out there. Uh, but we can encourage you towards some good ones or a website to get some. Or we could order some and get them to you as well. We want to encourage evangelism. So, um, so that's really important. Okay, um, and also uh, as it relates to coaching, if you're struggling with sharing the gospel with someone and, you know, you're like, hey, you know, you come to one of us pastors and say, hey, I would really like some help and how do I share the gospel with this person? Come to us, tell us, you know, I, I've had people say, hey, I had this person bring this issue to me about creation and science. How could I, how could we talk about this? Or um, someone who's Catholic brought up John 6. How do I, how do I do a John 6? I'm like, okay, you know, and so it's a helpful discipleship opportunity for you guys when you come to us with your concerns and sharing the gospel with others. And we're happy to do that. We're happy to help, okay? So next, uh, celebrating. Celebrating. Number next is celebrating. Applauding those who are reaching out with Christ's love. Galatians 6.9. Someone read Galatians 6.9. You know, I, th I think about uh, moments and opportunities to celebrate and even seeing people come to faith in Christ recently and people be baptized. You know, it's always a cause for celebration, isn't it? And it stirs our hearts for Christ, and we're so grateful. And when we hear testimonies of people sharing the gospel, it's always a blessing and encouragement to each one of us. And I just want to encourage you guys, you know, um, sometimes in your schedule, it's not always going to be the easiest thing to, to you know, we are, we're all busy, right? So it's going to be hard to make time. You know, I, I, this, this past week, I was, um, I've been extremely busy, but it's been good. And I had an opportunity on Thursday to sit down with a young man and share the gospel with him. I spent two hours at Cedar House Coffee with this young man, and it was an awesome time to share the gospel. And I, I made a plea with him. I walked him through the scriptures. I had him read the text as I was going, and it was just like, you know, you need to trust Christ. And um, it was a great conversation. And now, did I have time for it? No, I actually had to go home that night and do, do some work, but <laughs> it's okay. You want to know why? Because what's more important is that person, their soul, for eternity, right? And so I want to encourage you guys um, even when you're busy, make the time to do it. Just make the time. Because, you, honestly, you're not going to regret sharing the gospel, right? You might think, oh, i got a lot to do, but man, just get there and do it. And when you do it, trust me, you're never going to leave like, man, why did I share the gospel? <laughs> right? You're not going to leave that way. You're going to leave, I hope they heard it. I hope they'll believe, right? And so I want to encourage you in that way. Uh, and also, um, share with us. If you're sharing the gospel with people, that encourages us. Don't keep it to yourself, you know. The, you know, I, 
you know, don't hide that news that you, hey, I'm sharing the gospel with someone. Well, great, let's rejoice and let's pray for that person. And if you win someone to Christ, we can celebrate too. And lastly, the last one here is Christ. Okay, Christ. Ma- making knowing Christ and making him known the consuming passion in our lives. Okay, Matthew 12, 34. Someone read that. So in that verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is your treasure? What do you love the most? We talk about what we love the most, right? So not hard, right? If we've got any grandparents in here, you could just kind of linger around them, you know, just maybe hang out around them a little bit. I'm looking at the truths because I think they're the only ones. Um, right? We could, you could kind of hang out around them a little bit and you just stand there. Next thing you know, maybe you know, talk about sports, basketball, football, whatever, talk about church life, but eventually... They'll bring up their grandbabies, right? You probably got pictures on your phone, maybe, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, come look at the you know, picture, you know. Look at this cute thing they did. Look, they're drooling, you know. So it's funny, you know, whatever, uh, right? So it's not hard for us to talk about what we love, right? You know, and, and so right, you're, we talk about, and that tells you what's what's coming out of your mouth, what's what's in your heart. So if you're talking about work or sports or what what have you, that's gonna be what people notice you love, right? And so let's make our conversation about Christ, making Him known to others, and uh, let that be a complete consuming passions of our lives. So, uh, in closing, uh, I would like to read something that Spurgeon said. This is an excellent book, by the way. Uh, you know, Spurgeon, he, you know, he's a five-point Calvinist, but an excellent evangelist, um, and sometimes people say Calvinists are not evangelists, but um, this guy was, for sure, uh, and that's a false criticism of Calvinism, but um, the soul winner, uh, he was very active in sharing his faith with people, and in on this page, and here I'm going to read this little excerpt to you, and I just thought, man, Spurgeon has just a way of saying things. And this is in, in, in ending to encourage and conclude our time together. Uh, he's laying out this argument about how to win souls for Christ. And he says, but you are not only witnesses, right, just giving historical facts, like you're not on the witness stand like, here's the facts, right, but you are what? You are pleaders for our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in a pleader, much depends upon the man. It seems as if the sign and token of Christianity in some preachers was not a tongue of fire, but a block of ice. You would not like to have a barrister stand up and plead your uh, cause in a cool, deliberate way, never showing the slightest care about whether you were found guilty of murder or acquitted. In other words, you don't want a lawyer going to defend you like, yeah, he didn't do it. You know, you, know, you want him to make a case. You want to make a plea to the jury. He didn't do it, right? Uh, how could you endure his indifference when you yourself were likely to be hanged? Oh no, you wish to silence such a false advocate. So when a man has to speak for Christ, if he is not in earnest, let him go to bed. You smile, but is it not better that he should go to bed than send a whole congregation to sleep without going to their bed? Yes, we must be in downright earnest. If we are to prevail with men, we must love them. There is a genuine love to men that some have, and there is a genuine dislike to men that others have. I know gentlemen whom I esteem in a way, who seem to think that the working classes are a shockingly bad lot to be kept in check and governed with vigor. With such views, they will never convert the working men. To win men, you must feel, I am one of them. If they are a sad lot, I am one of them. If they are lost sinners, I am one of them. If they need a savior, I am one of them. To the very chief of sinners, you should preach with this text before you. Such were some of you. Grace alone makes us to differ, and that grace we preach. 
genuine love to God and fervent love to man make up the great qualification for a pleader. And so my hope from this whole four-part series together is that it's stirred your affections for Christ and for the lost, that you would be a pleader for the gospel, that you call people to a response, and that you as the church would also strengthen the ministries of this church in our evangelism and strengthen other believers who maybe couldn't attend this training or or maybe were too scared to attend something like that because they're afraid to share their faith. Be that person in their life that shapes them to be a soul winner by being a soul winner yourself. Okay? just want to encourage you guys in that way. Um, I went faster than I thought I would. So we do have a few minutes here just for maybe closing comments or questions are fine. But if there's any comments or encouragements you want to give or if you want to share an opportunity which you've shared the gospel with lately. And then at the end we'll close in prayer requests. Okay? So anything like that? Any opportunities to share your faith or any comments about any of the four sessions? Questions? I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so I try to find how every question could bring its way back. So I always try to just bring it back. You know, so, um, you know, in, in talking with like an atheist, maybe they might say, you know, I don't believe that there's a God or that, you know, so I, I'll, I'll say, okay, well, what, what caused it all? So I'll go like to the Big Bang and I'll talk to even their argument to the Big Bang. And I might, you know, say, well, because of that, you know, they're focusing on the Big Bang and evolution. Well, there's got to be a designer and creator. And then I find my way back to using that creator argument to start the God, man, Christ response part. Does that make sense? And so I'll, I'll use those kind of questions they have, worldview questions, and, and find a way to not weasel back in, but, you know, just kind of slip it back in to get us back on track to what's most important, if that makes sense. So just kind of pay attention for those things, you know, as you're going. And it, if they talk about how frustrated they are with the problems in the world, like, you see this, you know, crazy war with Russia and Ukraine? Well, yeah, men are evil, right? And then boom, gospel, right? So you can take each of those kind of things that are happening, you know, and, and use, use those as bridges back. So... Uh, and, and sometimes it's, it's helpful, like if you're kind of being barraged by somebody. Um, you know, I talked about this a couple summers ago, and this is in Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, but the person who might be a steamroller, who they might be like just trying to run you over essentially, and you could, you know, they don't, they're not letting you speak or those kind of things. You say, hey, I'd like to share, if you don't mind, like let me just, you know, you're kind of talking. You know, and then you start to share, and they cut you off. And like, hey, if you're not going to let me share, this is kind of a waste of our time. So you might get to a point where if, if someone just kind of wants to keep diverting off of it, you might say, well, it might be better if we talked another time, you know, when, when there could be a mutual respect or something like that, you know. Does that make sense? So, okay, cool. I was thinking about the free will argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen? And everybody always brings, they wrap it back around to, well, he needs, you know, he has to give us free will. But I see this answer as really um, lacking in a lot of substance for a lot of non-believers because they don't even understand the concept of God at the time. And so you brought something up that made me consider how you could, like, for instance, bring up Russia and Ukraine. That's something that you say and bring to the man section of Christ, mm-hmm. man, uh, God, God made Christ response, because that's something men did. Yeah. For something more so like my grandma has cancer or right, my best right. friend has cancer, yeah. how can you do that? Yeah, so, I mean, just part of the, we might say, the effects of the, of the fall in a Genesis 3 world, right? So, um, 
there's going to be sickness, there's going to be death, you know, and just from death, you know, I'm going to share, obviously, a sense of compassion. You know, I might even go to the story of Jesus and Lazarus when he lost his friend Lazarus, and, you know, Mary and Martha are weeping, and Jesus even weeps, but even the text there wasn't like a quiet weeping. There's two words for weep in the Greek. It was actually a very loud weeping to such an extent that the crowd was shocked by his response, but Jesus knows he's about to rise up from the dead. He just said, I am the resurrection and the life. If he believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, right? So Jesus knows what he's about to do, but yet he still weeps. And why? Because he, and you could use this to, if you're talking about death, you know, um, because he hates death. And he went to the cross to defeat death and offers us eternal life. And if we think about it, this light momentary affliction of suffering on earth, is, it's not even worth comparing to the glories can be revealed to us in heaven and living for eternity, being free from the, the curses of sin, you know, in our lives. So that's how I would drive someone to the gospel in that way. I would sympathize with them. And, and I'll also just say, look, Christ sympathized with us in our weakness too, you know, in this world. And he, he touched and healed the sick, you know, things like that. So I would try to always point to the, how Christ sympathizes. So, yeah, that's a good question, though. Any other questions? Anything else? Okay, if there's no questions, do we have any prayer requests or anything for people you might be sharing the gospel with? You know, sometimes for people like that, too, they got to go through some sort of serious trial of some kind to kind of be snapped out of that, that spell that we might say, in a sense, or that blindness that Satan might have on them to think that the world does satisfy. Um, and it, it doesn't. You know, it, it, it can maybe stupefy or numb those, you know, we might say, uh, callings from God through, from creation or from the word proclaimed like it did through you, where they might feel numb to the gospel. Um, but, you know, we just got to pray that God would work in those situations. And we definitely will we'll pray for Leslie for sure. And thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Any other prayer requests? 
Cameron. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And uh, the, the person I was sharing the gospel with on Thursday was uh, Rachel's brother, David. So we pray for David Tuye. Um, he's a really nice young man and had a great conversation. So just pray for David and Rachel's whole family. But yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll be praying that you can be the soft, kind invitation to Christ <laughs> at your home. So. <laughs> he got angry at religious leaders <laughs> that's sweet well we pray that you'll be successful in your endeavors to be a faithful witness to the gospel at your home so anything else we can be, anyone else we can be praying for it's 501 I know we got to get going okay Mark, let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed Lord Jesus we love you we pray for uh, the two yeas uh, for Zeke for Leslie we pray, Lord, that you would use those who are sharing the gospel with them to see them come to faith in Christ and for their lives to be transformed, to be brought from dark to light, from death to life. And, and God, we pray that for all of us who are encountering the lost, you would help us to see their need for Christ and share, share the gospel with them. We love you, Jesus, and thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.